0: Welcome to another Contractor's Best Friend podcast. I'm Brad Humphrey, and I think you're going to enjoy today's podcast, which is brought to us by 4 and Caterpillar. In fact, today, again, we have Jason Hurtis and Lonnie Fritz, both from Caterpillar Product Specialist. Guys, how are you guys doing today?
1: Good. How are you doing? Very good, Brad. All right. Good to see you.
0: You know, we have, we've had this discussion, and it came up in one of the podcasts. We got a lot of feedback. We talked about site mapping, the important. In fact, if you wanted to call this podcast anything, it might be, you know, building efficiencies into your site mapping. And we're not talking about maybe the CAD drawings and those kind of things. What we're talking about today, guys, we want to talk about what should be the approach, the mental, the philosophical, whatever you want to call that uh, you know, Lonnie or Jason, you shared something on one of our earlier podcasts that you made, just resonated with me. You talked about how, you know, how do we set up the site map in terms of our equipment and bringing it. Can you sort of rephrase that or refresh us a little bit? And Let's, let's work off of that. This
1: sure. In your, in your site layout or in your job, you'll actually have different phases, you know, whether it's land clearing or starting to crush or you're starting to pave, whatever it is. And how you bring that equipment or mobilize that equipment in and out of that job site is going to impact the efficiencies generally we tell everybody bring your biggest machines in first they're the longest trailers they're going to take the most room they're going to take the longest to unload and then bring your smaller equipment in after that again because they can cycle in faster they're coming on f-250s with trailers to get the skid steers the mini hex the smaller excavators off where you know a 992 is going to come on two or three trucks and it may take two three days to get it assembled on site so bring the big hard stuff in first and then bring the small stuff in after that
0: you know one of the you know we we talked about lean, and, and I think more and more contractors, e- even into the sub-trade specialists, are starting to realize the significance of quality and, and and the new terminology is lean construction, which is which has actually been around for several years. But you know one of the seven waste that they ad- has been identified is that whole issue of transport and motion. Those are two of the waste of the seven. Motion is such a wasteful time on job sites. I've seen guys moving equipment back and forth. And they're not even using the equipment, they're just moving it out of the way. So what you just said is a mouthful. How are we staging things? I mean, help, help me out here a little bit.
2: And some of that equipment moves easier and quicker than others yeah, exactly. too. <laughs> in the construction world, it really comes down to project scope. Mm-hmm. You know, is this project involved? Uh, it's a mainline project. We got a lot of earth to move, underground utilities, ag base course, paving. When are those things taking place? Is right. this a one month project, two year project? Yeah. What are the items on that critical path? Um, bridges, other structures, retaining walls, that, that can add a lot to it. Does that structure have to go in before other things? So where are we gonna put the steel? Um, a lot of it also comes down to in the construction are the long lead items. Yeah. If we have to take bridge beams in advance, if we have to take a lot of steel in advance or a lot of pipe in advance, because that's what we have a contract with the supplier for pricing to take advantage you know, of those bid prices and things. So where are going to put the material today that we need next year? Been there, done that, and uh, it's a very, uh, very um, important part of the job site mapping, of the strategy, so we're not handling material. You unload a lot of piling in the wrong spot, it's not easy to pick it up and move it again, and it's very, very costly and inefficient. Well, in fact,
0: one of the, talking about defects for an equipment, the part, the portion of the, of the job site for equipment is if we don't have the proper foundation, you know how many times have we seen you know the the, the rock road built up because they, they needed to stabilize the, the 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 ground in order to get that big equipment in there, and and so those to me those are that's all part of that planning that I've got to be honest with you I don't see that sometimes or worse. There may have been a site map done, let's say, in pre-construction phase for a GC, and when the when the superintendent or the guys actually show up to the job site, it really isn't applicable now for any reason. Maybe that maybe there was a delay in the job start. The weather's changed. There's been a lot of extra rain, and no one's really gone back to update that. I don't see a. I don't always see site maps that have been updated. Well, no. yeah, and as
2: the job progresses too, you know, access and egress at the beginning of the job may need to look totally different. Yeah months in or years into the project, Um, like saying, Brad, just the durability um, as well as the width, the strength, you know, what is it we need to bring across these temporary access roads or temporary construction roads? Uh, They have to be built for the duration Mm -hmm. that they're going to be there for to serve that project. And again, do they need to be moved? And what is the budget uh, sometimes the access road budget, the uh, you know hauling road budget isn't always there, let alone the maintenance right. of it. Where Slowing that, down cycle What line item is that on? Exactly. <laughs> Where are we going to hide that cost? That's exactly right. <laughs> That's a good point, Lonnie.
1: No, you're you're exactly right. They need to do that. I mean, they have daily safety talks. They have daily production meetings, weekly production meetings. Very few customers have weekly or quarterly site map meetings or site efficiency meetings, and they need to do that because things change environmentally, permits, mm-hmm. people machine sizes material types material sizes sales volumes you know that changes frequently and and they keep doing things the the way they were doing before and then wondering well i'm not as efficient as i was five years ago or last year well because things have changed and you haven't
0: exactly right you know even a simple practical example is the washout you know with concrete trucks yeah you know it's amazing to me you know you think on a big green open field site You know, driving down from Chicago yesterday, all the open fields coming down Illinois, the beautiful Illinois, you know, farms and all that kind of stuff, man. No problem, right? You get into a city area and you got to need a washout area. That becomes a whole nother logistic issue for equipment people and all
2: that, right? And Uh, environmental and uh, and regulation. That's what I was going to add. Yeah, environmentally, now it is a designated washout area with a confined pit. You don't just pull over the side of the road. You know, you get on mainline hot mix asphalt paving job, little little pile, little pile, little pile as you clean out and you go down 10 miles of road. That's a lot of cost to pick that up because now you're cleaning up the entire job. Yeah, so those designated areas drive efficiency if we just think and plan ahead a little bit more, yeah. um, and take those small things into consideration. Yeah. They can pay big dividends.
0: Yeah, one of the penalties I see, and I know you guys have seen it too, because we've talked about it. But you know, so it seemed like so many parts of the United States got a lot of rain this spring. And a lot, and one of the things I'll be very honest with you, I've had to cancel out, postpone, or reschedule visits with contractors because they just they really can't afford me to come in and, de- and deal with their guys. They really need to be out working, kind of a thing. And and so it's very interesting to see how much. But when you get that kind of urgent sense of urgency built up, it's very easy for a lot of these foremen or superintendents or PMs to feel that they've really got to keep pushing. And you used a term earlier uh, in another podcast uh, about ramming, you know. Give us that again, because I think that's yeah. a great term to keep in mind. Because it, it is, it yeah, is something we do.
2: Like anything in construction, we have a lot of constri- we have a lot of technical terms. Brad, one of them being getting rammy, you know. And <laughs> and construction generally relies on scale factors. Yeah. And what I like to—the de- way I define that—is we just put larger equipment and more equipment at it. We throw more people. We throw more resources, labor, material, and equipment at a schedule that may be falling behind. And what we're doing is throwing a lot of extra costs. There's a point where we can only run as close to 100% efficiency as we can. And then we meet that point of diminishing returns. When we get rammy, most importantly, we become unsafe. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and, and always ends that way. It always ends up that way. W- one last question I have, and, and we've, we've discussed this a little bit, but may- maybe take it a little bit further this time. And I'm really wanting us to talk to the sub-trade guy or gal, that, that comes to the job site that um, they're just trying to get their jobs done too. They've got some equipment they need to bring in and they're just they get to the job site and it's not been staged very well, admittedly. What advice do we give to these 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 leaders? These uh, you know, the, the the foreman shows up or the superintendent for the sub trade company comes in and he, he has he or she has some piece of equipment they need to get on the site and it's just not set up for them. And the superintendent of the GC hasn't obviously prepared for that. What would be some advice to give? I know I'm kind of pulling something out of the air, but this happens all the time.
1: Yeah, I would look for a remote first. Okay. You know, is there some place, <clears throat> a, a parking lot, an open field, you know, something that I can offload my stuff and then localize it um, up to the job site, whether it's drive it across the street or drive it across the field. But I would try to get off of their site and get my stuff safely and quickly unloaded, and then then get it on site. I think that's a lot more efficient if you have that capability. If you have that option, you know,
0: related to that, I it, it was I think it was in uh, Michigan or Wisconsin, one of the two. But there was two job sites going across the street from each other, and it was really it, it was really a testimony to the teamwork, you know, of. Two competing gc's that had two different jobs but they were able to share space with each other because they were different phases of the building and i go back to that i mean a lot of this is just approaching and negotiating it with 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 our brothers and sisters in the industry anyway and i always thought related to that because at the job site that i was visiting they did not ha- they were short on space and but they had gone across the street, negotiated with a deal with the other G C there to be able to use some of their space. So I think that's what you're talking about related right. to that. And I, I don't think that's always happening.
1: No, I don't think people, you know, look at it. There's an right. open there's fifty acres next door, yeah. but here's yeah. the five acres I gotta work on, so I'm gonna try to punch everything into the five acres. Yeah. Well, think a little bit bigger, think out of the box and you know, it takes you what, half a day sometimes yep. to unload big stuff, you, yep. you're in and out of there. It's minimal impact. To the-
0: and do you guys find, whether it's with Caterpillar, and I'm sure any other equipment, people probably would, would feel the same, but some of the equipment you guys have is perfect for a particular job. But then they get to the shop site, and there's not enough room for maybe some of that maneuvering of that. And And to me, the temptation is if they haven't had that pre-start discussion, there's a tendency that some people will scale down on equipment just to get it in and then they don't have the right equipment right so this is this could be a little bit of do we even have the right equipment for what the job is?
2: Yeah, it goes back to one of my favorite sayings, Brad. And that's matching the machine to the mission. Yeah. Um, a lot of method specs out there will tell you what you're going to use for machines, including the size. Mm-hmm. So then you do have to make those provisions to allow for storage and staging of the equipment. Mm-hmm. For example, mainline asphalt pavers a rolling train, you know, a roller train of four asphalt compactors and a large material transfer device it's hard to find enough farm entrances to ditch those alongside an interstate and allow for the 30-foot offset you need from the live traffic lane so there becomes a lot of pre-planning and that starts in the estimating phase because a lot of that leads to low boy expense you have to mobilize off the job at night and back on the morning or vice versa depending if you're uh, working at night something else you touched on was team and subcontractors is valuing the subcontractor not looking down because they're subcontractor they're part of the team and if their work's not completed quality budget timing and safely the project's not going to get done whether you're the gc or not you're not going to get your retainage and your final payment at the end of the day you're all on the same team and everybody needs to be valued in that direction
0: well this has been a great podcast we're (laughs) covering all
2: kinds of territory is there any other political issue we want to talk about
0: (laughs) while we're here I, as we close up, first of all, I hope, hope those of you listening are appreciating this. Th- this is a big deal. And if you're a contractor, you're a leader of a construction crew, and you're working underneath the guidance of a GC or, or, or CM, whatever, whoever you're working for, getting your equipment on a job site is obviously pretty high on your priority list. Don't wait to the day you show up, obviously. That, that almost sounds silly. But I've seen it happen. We just assume the job sites are going to be there. And what happens so many times, we get there, we get stuck, and we waste more time. And now we're back to losing money on a project. Well, hopefully the, the tips that, uh, that Lonnie, uh, Fritz, and, and Jason Hurtis have, have provided for you will be helpful for you. Hey, put these things to work. Our, our goal here is for help you to be the best, uh, most efficient, profitable construction owner and leader you can be. Obviously, we're not working for a non for profit organization. We're out to make some money do it in a good, safe, and quality manner. This has been Brad Humphrey. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. And uh, keep a listen for us as we got other topics that are, uh, that are coming up for you as well in the future. Thank you for listening.